Hi, this is episode 222, recorded on Monday the 5th of November 2018 at 10.49 and 53 seconds in the evening. Yeah, I was supposed to tape this yesterday, everything was ready to tape this yesterday, and of course I left it too late and fell asleep, but in my defence, I have been pretty ill lately as I constantly bore you with my various aches and pains. But I've got good news, I'm feeling better. I started some new vitamins on Sunday, which sounds like a really trivial thing, but yeah, that's what it appears to be, shortage of vitamin D again. I'm not fully recovered, but I'm getting there, and yeah, feel much more cheerful and chirpy today, and really in the mood to do this podcast, so let's do that. I had my opening thing ready for yesterday, which was to talk a little bit about that night's Doctor Who, but of course it's a day later, and I can talk about last night's The Walking Dead. I thought it was a really exciting episode. And Rick Grimes is out. And that's it. There's three episodes left of this season. But the show will go on forever. By the look of things. Or by what the showrunners have said. But I'm out. I'm definitely finished with The Walking Dead now. And ready to go on to something else, especially if Rick is out. I mean, he was the main protagonist. And I've watched Andrew Lincoln go from being a comedic teacher in Teachers to being one of the highest paid people in TV. I wonder what he'll do next. My suspicion is that he'll buy a tropical island. Do you think he'll do that? we just fly to Hawaii and buy a mansion or something. I don't know. Somehow, I don't think he's coming back here to the Midlands. Is he from the Midlands? Not even sure about that. Uh, yeah. I wonder what it's like having that meteoric rise. Hmm. Anyway, where were we? We're drifting off course again. Welcome to nearly winter. Yeah, it is nearly winter. DST, Daylight Saving Time, ended in the UK on the 28th of October, but official winter doesn't start until the 1st of December, according to the UK Meteorological Office. Apparently, we're still in autumn, but... I really don't care what the weather does as long as the central heating keeps working and the car keeps working as well. Fingers crossed. And I keep functioning, which would be an added bonus. Let's get straight on. And The Incredibles 2, yeah, did see that recently. It is entertaining and action-packed and funny, but uh, I don't think... It's quite as good as the first film. In the first film, the focus was on Mr. Incredible, and the script 
went into quite great length into how he was coping with being a has-been superhero and just middle-aged man stuff in general. There is no such character development with Elastigirl. I think the filmmakers thought, hey, we're being inclusive and that's enough. Come on, that's not good enough. You just can't tick the boxes and call it a fait accompli. Another problem, I looked at the voice actors and most of them are white. And why is that? It's voice acting. (sighs) But as I said at the top of this section, it's action-packed and funny. It's just not nearly as good as the first movie. Bad Boys 3. It is Reboot City this week. More on that later. You know, I only like the original because of Tia Leone. There was a sequel that I can't even remember. And now there's a stupid reboot that I'm sure will make a lot of money. And yeah, there's more. So yeah, Tia Leone, great. Will Smith, you know, it's a buddy movie. Not really into cop buddy movies. Well, I was in the 80s. But then the 80s came and went and it was the 90s. And I was no longer into that kind of thing. So it's not for me. But as I said, yeah. But wait, there's more. Avatar 2, 3, etc. 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Probably forever. Yeah, Ridley Scott appears to be doing them. I didn't dig into this story much. Because, sure, the original Avatar was pretty great. But I only deliberately went to see it the first time. Subsequent viewings were just because the thing was on TV, for example, for Christmas or one of the holidays in the UK, and I was a captive audience due to one mince pie too many or too much booze. So, yeah, I'm not really looking forward to that. I really wish he would do something else. I mean, he is an amazingly talented guy, and I think... He is wasting his twilight years just rehashing old stuff. Come on, Ridley, do something else. But we're not finished, because there's even more. Top Gun 2. Yeah, Tom Cruise is back, and this is happening, and I don't care. Much as I don't care that much about the original and it's macho to the point of parody. Even when it did come out the first time in the 80s, and I was a bit more tolerant of that level of machismo, I still didn't like it then. Which makes it sound like I hate it. I don't really hate it either. Okay, look, I'm going to admit, Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis make a pretty couple, and Val Kilmer... (laughs) (laughs) was slim back then but all in all let me reiterate how much I don't care about the sequel hence the podcast title and I feel the need the need for sleep let's move on to Hellraiser and I can be a bit less snarky 
Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, and the Scarlet Gospels. I have started the big rewatch. I tweeted that prior to finally, 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 finally cracking open a book I must have bought a while back. Actually, I bought it back in 2016, two days after Christmas, because if you go back in time and listen to the earlier podcasts, I was not a happy bunny. Am I ever a happy bunny? I was particularly not a happy bunny that Christmas, and I thought I'd treat myself, and I bought that book on the 27th, the day after Boxing Day, in Waterstones. Yeah. And I never got round to reading it. It's still sitting on my shelf. The Scarlet Gospels is, and by now I'm sure every geek knows, the finale to Clive Barker's Hellraiser series. So far, I have watched up to the bit where Frank gets torn to bits again by the Cenobites. And then, believe it or not, I fell soundly asleep and woke up wonderfully refreshed. You know, one of these days, I've got to do a podcast where I talk to you about films that really do scare the living stuff out of me. Because there are some horror films, and some films that aren't technically horror, so while I do like pretty horrible horror, there are things that can get me. Now, I haven't reread The Hellbound Heart, which was the short story that the Hellraiser series was based on. I think I've read that a few times, years and years ago, maybe in the Books of Blood. Can't remember. It's a while. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that as well as a preparation to reading the Scarlet Gospels. And yeah, about that bit about Frank being torn apart. Yeah, sorry, that was a spoiler. But come on, people, the film was from 1987. Oh yeah, and by the way, 31 years later, I still have no idea where the film is supposed to be set. It was filmed in England, but there's a mixture of British and American characters. All we know is that the family have moved from Brooklyn which could technically mean England, though it's a weird way of phrasing it, but the furniture movers have American accents. A brief Google told me that the setting was a non-specific mid-Atlantic one. I think they thought it would appeal to both audiences. Also, if you're interested, if you're an aficionado of the series, Bugman is not apparently a Cameo by Clive Barker. Really? (laughs) You know what? I suddenly have this feeling of terrible deja vu. I'm sure we've talked about this before. It doesn't seem like not talking about Hellraiser for six years is something that I would do in this podcast, so let's move on. But before we do move on, and I hope I'm not Also saying this bit again. If you are wondering why Clive Barker only directed the first and wrote the second and wasn't involved in the others, is because the others are rubbish. (laughs) 
there's also something else that might be of interest to Hellraiser fans. I found an article on io9 written by Abhimanyu Das and Charlie Jane Anders. It's entitled The Weirdest Secrets You Never Knew About Clive Barker's Hellraiser, I think. I've only got the URL in the show notes. I should have grabbed the title. Sorry about that. But I am paraphrasing an excerpt from a quote of Barker. It says here, Barker hit a snag. I went to the local library to find a book on film directing. And they had two, but they were both checked out. And I thought, I don't even have a book. What Clive Barker was referring to is he made the pitch to Roger Corman. Roger Corman said, yeah, go ahead. And Clive Barker hadn't directed anything before. So he went to the library to get a book on how to direct. I find that amazing. And a little bit heartening too, because the first film, despite a few shortcomings, is pretty good. And if it was Clive Barker's first attempt at cinematic directing. It is pretty impressive. Now, I know he directed other stuff before, uh, stage plays and stuff like that, and little short films, but they were pretty bad. I've seen a few of them. But it does just go to show that just because you don't have experience doesn't mean you can't do something. And that goes for anything in the creative industry. Don't let someone tell you that you can't do it. And thus ends my first pep talk of the evening. Sorry about that. Sounded a bit con. I hope it didn't sound condescending. I hope it sounded a bit cheery and supportive. Let's now go on to something else. Yeah. And I will let you know how the Scarlet Gospels goes. Finally, get round to doing it because I'm sure there are about a hundred other book reviews that came out when the book came out. But you'll have my personal take on that. Let's talk about Doctor Who now. The Doctor Who Christmas special has been cancelled. I was tempted to entitle this podcast episode BBC Say Christmas Cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, oh, oh, if I laugh, I'm going to snort up my nose and that's going to hurt. Yeah, they have admitted they've no new ideas for Christmas specials. Boo. Actually, I could think of a thousand. So maybe get better help, beep. God, that's a real blatant pitch, isn't it? I don't think that's going to work. Never mind. Who knows? Although Christmas specials are a new Who phenomena, only a couple of old Who episodes aired on Christmas Day, it has become something of a modern tradition. So I'm not sure what I'll be doing Christmas evening if I'm not watching Doctor Who. So thanks a lot for that, Chris Chibnall. They do say at least there will be a New Year's Day special, which 
I have nicknamed the Doctor Who Hangover Special. Although I don't plan to get boozed up this Christmas. I've done enough of that before. That's something at least, yeah. Doctor Who New Year's Day Special. Oh yeah, and the episode that I was going to mention at the top of the show, but I didn't because it's no longer Sunday, was yesterday's episode, The Saranga Conundrum. I thought it was fairly average, but one thing that I liked is that actually had hard science fiction in it for a change. They actually talked about the LHC and they had a go at talking a bit about science, which is good. Yeah, more of that, please. The other thing that I haven't mentioned so far, I think, is that the theme is the best I've heard in a very long time. In fact, I'd go as far as saying it's the best New Who theme music. It's got the double heartbeat drum, it sounds bigger, and it just sounds very slightly sinister, as it should do when we're following an ancient, almost omnipotent alien around the multiverse. So yeah, hard sci-fi, excellent. Theme music, even more excellent. Let's move on to Titans. This is Teen Titans for the small screen. In this show, Robin is a cop by day and a psychopathic vigilante by night. He's really going the whole Nightwing thing and he really isn't Batman. On the other hand, unlike Batman, he really is a proper detective. Not like his estranged mentor who's more of a brilliant but amateur detective. What else? The language is fairly explicit. They don't shy away from swearing. It is very violent, as befits Nightwing. You know, now that I think about this, wasn't there a Nightwing short? Look that up on YouTube. I'm not sure if it was just a one-off or an amateur effort, but I do remember seeing another live-action Nightwing. But anyway, we're talking about Titans, so let's get back to that. I also think it's one of the better superhero shows. It's better than most. For example, I had another go at watching The Flash and almost got back into Supergirl, but gave up in the end as they're not terrible, but they're just not exciting enough. Which is a common theme in many of the shows that I've given up on and have only watched quite a few shows just so that I can talk about them in the podcast, at least the first episode. But in Titans, in the last couple of episodes, we are introduced to Beast Boy and DC's upcoming Doom Patrol. I've got to say, Brendan Fraser is really great as Robot Man. As I never really got into Teen Titans other than really loving the theme music to the animated series, I'm now using this opportunity to get to know Raven, Starfire and Beast Boy. 
hero that I know very little about. I'm not sure whether it's going to hold my long-term interest, but I think I'll watch the first season. Yeah, it's too early to tell whether I'm in this for the long haul, but I will watch the first season. That introduction to Doom Patrol was also quite good, because I think I've read a couple of uh, trades, but I don't really know much about Doom Patrol either. Though I know more about Doom Patrol than I do about Titans. What else have I been watching? Oh yeah, Manifest. Some passengers on an airliner take off, and then they land five years later. When they're on board the plane, there is some turbulence, and something happens to time. Feels a bit Stephen Kingish, I suppose, that supernatural thing that happens on an airplane, or maybe Twilight Zone. Or maybe I'm reading too much into that. I don't think it's got anything to do with Stephen King's The Langolias or the Gremlin episode of The Twilight Zone. But weird things happen on the plane. Actually, weird things really do happen on the plane, and I could tell you a few of them. But let's leave that for another time, because... I don't want this podcast to go on too long because you people have busy lives and I need to not dawdle. So let's keep going. Uh, Where were we? I'm now prevaricating by making all these noises and talking around the subject. But oh yeah, there I am. I think it's fairly average TV fare. Not particularly thrilling. But I am following it for now. Another thing that I definitely think that they are trying to recapture with this is a little bit of the flavour of Lost. Yeah, I really think so. And that's Manifest. If you've got to pick and choose because time is finite, pick Titans over Manifest. On to The Haunting of Hill House. Another good show. I can tell you that right the beginning of the section. It is a very loose adaptation of Shirley Jackson's classic 1959 novel of the same name, which we have talked about before. We went off on a tangent in a much earlier podcast during an interview and talked about this book. I think I'd seen the old film and the new film, which is terrible. I think the new film is the one with Liam Neeson. Pretty sure he was in that. But anyway, this has nothing to do with either of those. Because, yeah, it is very loosely based on the book. A family moves into Hill House to do it up and flip it so that they can move into their final forever house. And things go terribly wrong. It's like an evil version of the money pit. No, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing like the money pit. I don't know where that came from. Do you remember that film with Tom Hanks? Oh, right. Okay, now I've lost my track again. Tangent. Yeah, the haunting leads to tragedy, and the tragedy scars the family in future years. There are two ensemble casts. One playing the younger family, and another playing the older family. All the main cast members have their scene-chewing moment, which is really great if you're an actor. 
but sometimes makes the show very dialogue heavy. That's my main criticism. Performances, effects, they're all great, but I would say, for me personally, the standout performance is Timothy Hutton's measured take on the father of the family. And I can say this as someone who is not a fan of his work until I watched this show. I think it's pretty good. Whereas everyone's just chewing the scenery. (laughs) Doing quite well, but as a little bit of ham, he takes it a little bit easier. And it's hard to play a weak character. Or a character who starts off strong, but is bashed to pieces by life, and ends up hurt and weak. That's not so easy. And that's The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, put that on your list. Next, Charmed. Reboot, reboot, reboot. Yeah, Charmed has been rebooted too and is back. Three sisters inherit an old house, as if I need to tell you, and a spell book, because it turns out that they are from a family of witches. I'm not interested because I was a fan of the original show, which isn't terribly old, and you'd be better off trying to find a copy of that. I'm sure this show won't be bad, and it will be more current, but... Life's too short for me to get into this again, because it was perfect the first time. And the same goes for, yeah, we haven't finished yet, Magnum. Oh my god, they rebooted this as well. The ratings are not good. A female Higgins seems like an interesting idea, but why even bother with a series at all? Seek out the old show. That's my advice. I remember quite liking Magnum, the character and the show, but I remember my dad really liked Higgins, and I've been looking over the Wikipedia about Magnum, and apparently Higgins was a dropout from officer school, and was a sergeant major in the army for years and years, and my dad was not an officer, but he was a corporal. I think he could have been a sergeant, but, you know, didn't want the responsibility. At least that's what he tells me. And judging by the things he got up to in the army, yeah, that might not have been a good idea either. But yeah, I think that's why he related to Higgins, an old army bloke who is an NCO. I'm not going to bother with a new Magnum. I've had my fill of old Magnum too. I'm not going to revisit that. But if you want to get into Magnum, the old series is much better. Same goes for Charmed. And on to Strangers. I just finished ITV's mystery drama starring John Sim. Talked about it before. A guy's wife dies in Hong Kong and he goes over to solve the mystery of why she died. And man, what a letdown. The whole series could have been a 90-minute film, but they strung along a quite conventional mystery into, I don't know how many episodes, I think it was eight. Way too long. 
John Sims, always a pleasure to watch. The rest of the cast are pretty good too, but this was just too long. Too, too long. And that's Strangers on ITV. Because we're a UK podcast. If you are listening to somewhere where it isn't the UK, like most of the world in fact, I'm sure you'll find a way of getting it. And that was Strangers starring John Sim. Next, Informer. This is a depressing BBC drama still available on iPlayer about police terrorism informers. I can't vouch for the accuracy of the whole informing process, but I think they threaded through a very slight bit of truth with the cop character played by Paddy Considine, who seems to be a composite of a number of real-life UK undercover cops. I'm sure I've seen documentaries where people mention bits of the backstory that they've fictionalised and stuck into Paddy Considine's character. But I can give you a bit of real-life information about undercover policing, because I used to work with an ex-Mountie who spent, get this, his entire working life undercover in Canadian prisons as an inmate. Imagine doing that. Absolutely terrifying. I remember telling him at the time, although I was not into media stuff at that time, I was just filling in time between archaeology, doing odd jobs like security jobs, I just happened to meet this guy. I remember mentioning to him at the time that your story should be a film. And he did tell me that he had met some guy who had gone off and written the story of his life as a script. And that's the last he's heard of it. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he's listening. If you still want to tell your story, get in touch. Back to the informer. The main character is played by a British chap called Naban Rizwan. He plays the protagonist, and he is an excellent actor. But And herein lies the one problem that I found. He is a very charismatic guy, and he is so good at comedy that when the script has little touches of humour, he does it so well, he almost pushes what is a very dark, serious and grim drama into outright comedy. That's why I think he was probably miscast in this drama, but that's my only real reservation about it. I've got to warn you, if you do watch it, you won't come away happy. It is not a happy watch. So if you're a bit down in the dumps, maybe watch something else. Next, Homecoming. This is something that I've just box-setted. Julia Roberts in a Gimlet Media podcast turned TV show from Amazon and directed by the amazing Sam Esmail. Sam, Mr. Robot Esmail. I know, right? How is Gimlet doing this? I am starting to feel... Not a little professional jealousy for Alex Bloomberg's baby lately. Anyway, the show's about a counsellor, Julia Roberts, 
working for a private corporation, a very sinister private corporation. Yeah, Sam Esmail was born to direct this. That is, ostensibly, helping reintegrate war veterans into civilian life, helping them overcome PTSD. Actually, the veterans appear to be experimental subjects, guinea pigs. It's tropey. It's not the most original premise, and that's not just me being jealous of Alex Bloomberg, but I definitely think it's not the most original script. I suppose that makes it a high-concept conspiracy thriller. That is something easily defined to the money people when you're making a pitch. I can just imagine the meeting. It's the Manchurian candidate meets Fringe meets all the president's men. On the other hand, the cast that includes the excellent Bobby Cannavale, who was also in the really brilliant vinyl, which no one seems to have seen. Check that out if you have time. And Mr. Robot. And Sam Esmail's direction and the look of the show. All these factors make it compelling. So despite the script, it's got such a great cast. It's got good dialogue. And when I mean script, I don't mean the dialogue or the actions of the people. I just mean the story. I should have emphasized that. Everything about this is good, but the story just strikes me as a bit... I've seen that before. And while we're on the subject of seen that before, there is a scene that is right out of all the president's men. Don't think you can pull that over. Sam Ismail, you might be brilliant, but I know my films and I know where you got that scene from. And let's talk a bit about the look, because I've just mentioned that. They use a squarish film format. In fact, I think it is actually square. I don't think it's four by three for parts of the show that are set in the future, i.e. big black bars on each side of the picture and a lot more sky and foreground. But yeah, I think it is actually square, like medium format. If you've seen the medium format film camera, but then I'm going to go into geek camera guy talk, so I won't talk about that. But yeah, an entirely square film format, which is odd, but strangely pleasing. Bit different. The other thing, yeah, the cast is great. And of course, the protagonist, Julia Roberts flips between posh professional and working-class blue-collar. And that is really Julia Roberts' stock in trade. She is perfectly cast for that kind of role. Though, honestly, how on earth did they score Sam Ismail, Julia Roberts, Bobby Cannavale? Man, that's unbelievable. I did hear a podcast about how they got the podcast to be a TV show. And if you want to find out how they did that, just go to Gimlet Media. I'm not going to advertise for them because I'm annoyed with them enough as it is. 
So I complained about the originality of the story. Another complaint I can make, that's pretty minor, but it was noticeable. The shows are about 30 minutes long, and I think that is weirdly short for this kind of intense drama. But overall, you'll want to watch it, and being 30 minutes long, it's like crack cocaine. You're going to end up box-setting the whole thing. I had thought just to talk for 30 minutes, but now it's 46 minutes according to the track in Audacity, so I'll try and hurry up a bit. But you are getting quite a packed show. This is just a follow-up on my comment about diversity in Waterstone's bookshop, and I was saying generally there doesn't seem to be any diversity. Generally, that's still the case, but since the last podcast, I have seen a minority member of staff working in the large Waterstones in my city. I saw a young Asian woman. My local library still remains very, very white. And again, I've got to ask, why is that? Let's move on to laptop and phone shopping. I'm still looking for replacements to my broken gear. I have found a Clevo manufactured mid-price laptop available in different configurations from a number of retailers. It's popular as a platform for Ubuntu, which is what I plan to use next, as are a lot of Clevo-made machines, because they are so generic with the hardware that they shouldn't really be a problem for installing something like Ubuntu. shouldn't have driver problems. My major requirement is a writing machine that can run Ubuntu, and specifically the program's Focus Writer, distraction-free writer, which we've talked about before, and a few Windows programs like MS Word 2003, which is the format of documents most used by literary agents in the UK. I'm sure they use more modern versions of Microsoft Office, but I use that because it's the last version of Office with the easy menus on the top rather than the ribbon-tape-thingamy-doodle. And First Draft as well, which is the industry standard writing tool for screenplays. I'm pretty sure I can use both those programs with Wine or Play on Linux in Linux. It would also be nice to run Audacity, Audition, Premiere and Photoshop. But to do that, I'd need a better processor, which means spending more money and contending with laptops' greatest enemy heat. Sure, the U-series Intels are supposed to be cooler, but even so. I've been tinkering with tech since I was a teen, so I take whatever tech companies say with a mountain-sized grain of salt when they talk about the longevity of their machines and how they handle heat, because as far as I can see, there isn't one device, whether it's a laptop, tablet, or phone, that handles heat well. The difference in price, depending on configuration, is substantial, ranging from about £400 to £800, or if you really go out to town, about £1,500. I'm not going to do that. Alternatively, 
I could just buy the cheapest £319 iPad for writing only and make do with Apple's Pages word processor, or maybe pay for Scrivener. Whatever I do, I need to do it soon, as no matter how I position my desktop, my back and shoulders ache badly because I spend so much time writing and podcasting. As for phones, as of yesterday, when I planned to do the podcast, I was down to a base model Nokia 5.1 or a Honor 9 Lite. The Honor is better on specs, but physically delicate, and it's more expensive by about £30. In the end, I picked the Nokia 5.1. I ordered it yesterday from John Lewis, and I'll be picking it up tomorrow. I was going to ask for your advice, but it's too late now because I've already bought my phone. But if you can think of a better laptop solution, let me know, bearing in mind that I am a writer with a minuscule budget. I just had a couple more things to say. This has gone way over half an hour. Sorry about that. It's heading towards an hour now, but I'll hurry. The new Mac Mini. There are a lot of upgrades from Apple lately, including the iPad and the new MacBook Airs, but the only one I can talk about credibly, because I have a Mac Mini, is the Mac Mini upgrade. I think it is an okay, but not great upgrade. Why? It's generally faster, but still no dedicated graphics, and the price is far too much. What that means is that if you have a 2012 to 2013 Mac Mini, I know those years are fairly constrained, but I can't see the reason for upgrading. The reason I say those two years is that from 2014, the Mac Mini is have many soldered non-upgradable components. If you top out the machine, the new machine that is, to the craziest possible spec of 3.2 GHz 6-core 8th gen Core i7, the one with the turbo boost up to 4.6 GHz, with 64 GB of 2.666 MHz DDR4, RAM and a 2 terabyte SSD and the 10 gigabit Ethernet card, it will cost, are you sitting comfortably, £3,859. At that point, you are officially insane for not buying something else, like the very best spec'd iMac, not iMac Pro, which will cost you more than a thousand pounds less and is better value. Slightly less spec, but much better value. Or even better value, just buy a PC and save another thousand pounds. And just a callback to what I was saying before about looking at online laptops with Ubuntu. Some of the sellers, uh, in particular, well, Entroware, they come with Ubuntu pre-installed, but PC Specialist, a UK online seller, sell machines with Windows, but you do have the option to not have Windows, and the savings are huge. If you opt not to have Windows Home, you save about £70. If you opt not to have Windows 10 Professional, 
you save about £130 back to the new Mac Mini. You might be better off with a PC. I hate to say that, but it's true. We have almost come to the end of the podcast, thank goodness, because my bum hurts a bit. Writing downtime. I do hope I can solve my equipment problem soon, as combined with my recent flu from hell, vitamin deficiency, malnutrition, and just general bothersomeness, I have lost valuable writing time. Sure, I could have wrote longhand with paper and pen, but I could barely play my ukulele lately. That's how much I have been down in the dumps. Couldn't move my hands well, so pen and paper. Even at my best, if I'm fighting fit and everything, realistically, no, because I just can't keep up with the flow of words on paper. I can write way faster on a keyboard. These show notes, for example, took me a couple of hours. On paper, it would have taken me a couple of days. One other thing, I've been banging on about health for a few podcasts now, and I have talked about this before, but this is to all you writers out there. Health problems are the reason writers cannot rest on their laurels when they are well, and let good writing time go to waste. I'm not nagging. I'm just trying to give you some pretty hard-won advice. By all means, spread it out, but be consistent, sustained, and realistic, and don't get burnt out, but do make hay while the sun shines, terrible cliché. And on that note, one last thing, good luck, NaNoWriMo's. Yep, good luck and work hard to those taking part in NaNoWriMo from the first of this month, just a couple of days ago. Remember, NaNoWriMo is the beginning of your writing journey and not the end. And we are done. Just be sure to tell people about this podcast because there is a lot more coming. I would love to do more podcasts, but there are some really good reasons that I can't. Maybe I'll get into that one day. But for now, rest assured that there's a lot more material. There are just so many genre-related things I have consumed, like some star-killing black hole over the past few weeks that I just haven't got round to talk about. We won't run out of material ever. Please feel free to get in touch. I would love to hear from you people. You can find me on the web at RoyMartha.com. That is R-O-Y-M-A-T-H-U-R.com. My email address is Roy.Martha at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at RoyMartha. Please give me a review in iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. And please tell someone about the show. Like the show, tell a friend. Hate the show, tell an enemy. This was episode 222 recorded on Monday the 5th of November 2018 and the time at the end of the show is 48 minutes past 11 and 13 seconds in the evening. I've got a lot of editing to do in the next few hours or tomorrow so expect this podcast to drop as they say on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. And bye-bye for now.
Bye. Editing this a day later. It was the 5th of November yesterday and I did not hear one firework. I heard some on Sunday but not one on the 5th of November. I think that's strange. One very last thing. Happy Diwali to everyone on Wednesday and hopefully see you next Sunday. Bye again. (laughs) 